Uh, we all like something that's relevant, don't we, that is connected to everyday life. Uh, life is too busy to waste time on stuff that is irrelevant. Well, that's what I'm like anyway. I'm not sure about you. If I'm watching TV and it's, I want it to be something that I'm interested in, I like cricket. So if the cricket's on, I watch the cricket. I don't particularly like football. If the football's on, I change channels. Irrelevant to me. If someone gives me a book to read, I want to know, is it good? Is it worthwhile me reading? Is it going to be worth it? Is it relevant? Or is it just something that you're interested in? Life's too short to waste your time on stuff that's irrelevant. Especially, I think, young people think like this. Relevant is good. There is a problem with relevant, though, isn't there? Because normally we define what's relevant by what we're busy with, by what our life is already involved in, by what we like. You see, so the things that I'm doing, the things that I think about, that's what's relevant to me. So if I love football, then anything to do with football is relevant. If my job's important, if work is important to me, then anything that's going to help me with work, well, that's relevant. Now, do you see the problem there? What if there's actually something outside of what I'm interested in? What if there's something outside of what I'm busy with that's actually very important, but I'm just not, I'm too busy? And I call it irrelevant. What if my little world, my view of relevant, misses something that's actually very, very important? What if I've put God in the irrelevant box? Or what if I've put the things that God says are important in the irrelevant box? Even as Christians, we can become so preoccupied with our problems that are right in front of us, the things that we're busy with, that we don't listen to anything else. And if, if what's relevant to me now in my situation today, uh, if that's all that's relevant to us, if that's all that we listen to, we're just hearing what already fits with what we've decided to do. How can our lives ever change? And that's really what uh, the centre of today's Bible passage is about. Because today we meet a lame man, he can't walk, and he comes to Jesus. And his little world must have been preoccupied with one thing. He wants to walk. And I wonder if someone had invited him to hear a man speak about how to have your sins forgiven, he might have said, irrelevant. Too much trouble. How will I get there? I can't walk. How's it going to help my situation? Thankfully, though, Jesus takes this man from his worldview and gives him something far more important than just walking. It's a great encounter of this man with Jesus, and it actually turns out to be a big challenge, challenge to us about what we think is important in our lives. But before we get to the paralysed man, which I think is the real centrepiece of this passage, we firstly meet a man with leprosy. Let's look at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, can I say already this is a little bit strange? 
You might think Jesus is healing people. This guy's a leper. Leper, come to Jesus to get better. But lepers were different in Jesus' day. Lepers were complete outcasts. They used to live in colonies outside of the town. Um, leprosy is a terrible disease. Uh, they don't call it leprosy. They call it Hansen's disease or something now. But in Jesus' day, leprosy covered all sorts of skin diseases, some of them contagious. Um, there's a great book by Paul, Dr. Paul Brand about leprosy. And this is about him reflecting back on his childhood. His father was a doctor. My father would not even let us watch him work on the three strange men who approached the clinic one afternoon. He confined us to the house, but I sneaked out and peered through the bushes. These men had stiff hands covered with sores. Fingers were missing. Bandages covered their feet. And when Dad removed those bandages, I saw their stumpy feet had no toes. I watched my father mystified. Could he actually be afraid? He did not banter with the patients, and he did something I had never seen before. He put on a pair of gloves before dressing their wounds. The men had bought a basket of fruit as a gift, but after they left, mother burned the basket, an unheard of act of waste. We were ordered not to play in that spot. These men were lepers, we were told. Leprosy today is curable. In Jesus' day, it wasn't. And there were rules about how you had to live if you had leprosy, and the biggest one was you had to keep away from other people. Listen to what the Bible says about what a leper had to do. The leper who has the plague must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. So lepers had to walk around shouting unclean so that no one accidentally bumped into them. They lived by themselves. This man, a leper, comes to Jesus. That's strange. Did everyone kind of move away from him as he came up shouting unclean? Or did he keep quiet, not saying anything because he knew he wouldn't get near Jesus? We don't know. What we do know is when he gets to Jesus, he falls down with his face to the ground and he begs Jesus. He begs him. And he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Notice he doesn't doubt that Jesus is able to heal him. He's probably heard lots of stories about what Jesus can do. He might have even stood at a distance and watched Jesus heal people. But he has doubts as to whether Jesus would want to heal him. If you're willing. See, will Jesus say, don't you know the rules? You shouldn't be near me. Get away from here. Verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Not only is Jesus willing to help this man, he reaches out, no gloves, and he touches the leper. I wonder how long since this leper has been touched by anyone. Jesus doesn't have to touch someone to heal them. He, he sort of heals people by remote control. He just says the words and people are healed. But he chooses to touch this untouchable man. And in Jesus' day, if you touched a leper, you became unclean. You had to stay away from everyone. But here it seems to be somehow the other way around. Jesus touches the leper and the leper becomes clean. 
Verse 14, Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. This man is now clean. In other words, he's been cured of just more than his disease. It's about him becoming clean again. Leprosy gone is just the start. He can now go to the temple and be right with God. So this is just the start of the hint that when Jesus looks at us, he does not just see our external problems. He looks into our hearts. He looks at our relationship with God. Now that couldn't be clearer than with the next man. Verse 17, the paralyzed man. One day as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for Jesus to heal the sick. Things have just got a bit bigger. It's not just the locals who've noticed Jesus now. News has spread all the way to Jerusalem, the big smoke where the big heavies are. And the religious guys have come all the way out to little old Capernaum to see what all the fuss is about. Jesus is starting to sort of shake up the big guys. Now, this is important because when Jesus heals the next man, he does it to make a point to these people from Jerusalem about what he came for. Verse 18. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Here's a man who can't walk. But thankfully, he's got some real good mates. And these four guys get together and they carry the paralyzed man to Jesus. Problem is, Jesus isn't teaching in a, in a big synagogue. He's in someone's house. And they can't get in. Imagine the frustration. Imagine the disappointment. Houses in those days sometimes had steps on the side so you could go and sit on the roof. So climbing up onto the roof, that's not unusual. You might remember David and Bathsheba. David's out there on the roof, or Bathsheba is. So getting onto the roof's not unusual, but digging a hole through the roof and lowering someone through it, that was unusual. But they're desperate, and so they carry their friend up the side of the house. They dig a hole through the tiles on the roof. Uh, Luke says tiles. Mark says they dug through the clay. So somehow there's this mess of a hole appearing in the roof. They lower him down through the hole. Can you imagine it? Once when I was preaching in Sydney, I had a sermon interrupted by this drunk guy who came walking down shouting at me. That was a distraction. That's nothing compared to this. How long did it take these guys to dig this hole through the roof and all the stuff falling down on the crowd? The four friends are probably now peering down through the hole and if everything goes according to plan, they will see their friend take his first steps. That's not what happens. Look at what Jesus says. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. That's a bit weird. Your sins are forgiven. Can't Jesus see this bloke can't walk? His friends are staring down the roof. Jesus has done his stuff and the paralyzed man is still lying on the floor on his mat, paralyzed. I wonder if they're up there thinking, of all the days to bring someone to Jesus, we pick the day that he has to pull a stunt like this. I mean, what do you do? 
Do you ask Jesus to have another go? Why did Jesus say, your sins are forgiven? Why didn't he say, get up and walk? It's because, sure, this man has an obvious problem. He can't walk. But Jesus sees a bigger problem. This man needs to be forgiven by God. Being forgiven might not be what he would have asked for, but it is what he most needs. See, being forgiven, it's not just about comfort in this life. It's about knowing God and then entry into the next life, the new creation, where everything is perfect. Jesus gave this man what was best for him, even if he didn't know it. A few years ago, we had a light flashing on the car dashboard and our little user manual said that when that light flashes, it means the air conditioner gas is low. Apparently, there's gas in the car air conditioner, and if it gets low, it stops working. You need to get it topped up. So I took the car to a mechanic, uh, said the, the light's flashing. He said, yeah, the gas is low. He'll top it up. It turned out, though, that wasn't the problem at all. The problem wasn't that the gas was low. The problem was the detector that detected the gas was malfunctioning. It was saying there was low gas, but there wasn't low gas. It was just the little sensor. Now, at that point, the mechanic could have just done what I've asked him to do, topped up the gas. That wouldn't have helped. He re-diagnosed the problem. He found out what the real problem was, what I most needed, and he fixed that. That's what Jesus has done with this man. This man comes to Jesus with a problem. He can't walk. That's not a little problem. That is a big problem. But Jesus gives him a different diagnosis. He's got an even bigger problem. He's not friends with God. And Jesus fixes his biggest problem. I wonder what his friends thought. I wonder if they realised the wonder of what had just happened. Luke doesn't tell us what his friends thought at this stage. Luke doesn't tell us what he thought. Luke wants us to notice, though, the response of the big guys from Jerusalem, the teachers of the law. Because they've been watching this, and Jesus has just claimed to be able to forgive sins. That is huge. Because only God can forgive sins, and they get angry. Verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? See, how can Jesus forgive sin? If I said to Dave, Dave, who's your telephone provider? Telstra, Optus, Telstra. You don't have to pay your Telstra bill this month. It's wiped clean. Forget about it. Don't pay the bill. I'll let you off. Great. Excellent. That's dumb. I don't work for Telstra. I can't let him off. So how can Jesus forgive sin? Because sin is against God. God is the only one who can let people off their, off their sins because sin is refusing to do what God wants. Jesus marches on the scene and he says, your sins are forgiven. He's claiming to be God. And that's why these religious guys get angry at him. Only God can forgive sins. Look at Jesus' answer. Verse 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking. And he asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? 
Now, that's a strange question. It does things with your brain, doesn't it? What's easier, to forgive sins or heal the paralytic? It's a bit of a riddle. None of those things is easier to do. They're both impossible, aren't they? A few years ago, our daughter Laura broke her femur and she was in traction for six weeks. And when when she got out of hospital, her leg was better. The x-ray showed the bone was healed. But she couldn't walk. Being in traction for just six weeks, the muscles were weak, weak and she had to learn to walk again. This guy hasn't walked all his life and Jesus heals him and he just stands up and walks like that. That's impossible. That's not easy to do. But forgiving sins, only God can do that. That's impossible too. Notice though, I think this is the trick. Jesus' question, he doesn't say what's easier to do. He asks which is easier to say. Notice that? Which is easier to say? And I just wonder if the first one's easier to say. Because because if I say, Jonathan, your sins are forgiven. How do you know if I'm bluffing? How can you tell if his sins are forgiven or not? You can't sort of look inside his heart and see if his sins are forgiven. But if I say, get up, take up your mat and walk, if I'm bluffing, it's pretty obvious. And so, to to show everyone that he's not bluffing, to show that he can forgive sins, Jesus now, as well, makes the leper walk. And it's all to show that he does have authority to forgive sins. Verse 24. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Jesus has just done the impossible twice. He's healed the guy and he's forgiven his sins. And do you see the point? Jesus is able to heal. We've already seen that last week. But more importantly, Jesus is able to forgive sins. And if you have eyes to see it, that's not just this man's biggest problem. It is our biggest problem. If I said to you this morning, right now, what's your biggest problem? What comes to mind? Bad health? Marriage problems? Stress? Something to do with your work? What's your biggest problem? Some trouble that you've got yourself into? Something about your personality that you can't change? A family problem? An addiction? Now this is not to minimise any of those things. Can you imagine not being able to walk? That's a terrible problem. And Jesus sympathises with us in our human problems, but Jesus says our biggest problem is none of those things. Our biggest problem is that we need to be right with God. Our biggest problem is that we refuse to listen to God and we don't do what he wants. And that's the biggest problem that Jesus came to fix. And if you read on in Luke, we find out about Jesus that he let himself be killed to take the punishment for what we've done wrong. Jesus gets punished for our wrong, our uncleanness. 
And we have all these things that we think are important. We have these things that cause us incredible pain and frustration in our life. We even think they're our biggest problem. But whatever we think our biggest problem is, Jesus says our biggest problem is that we need to be forgiven by God. And to make it even clearer, look at what Luke describes next. Look at what Jesus does next. In verse 27, Jesus calls Levi, and Levi is a bad person. He's like the fish John West rejects. And this bad person has Jesus round for dinner with all his other bad friends, and it upsets the good people Verse 30, the Pharisees and teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And look at Jesus' response, and this is the punchline to everything that we've seen today. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's the reason Jesus came. Good people don't need Jesus. Sinners do. And we're all sinners. Doesn't matter if you're a doctor or a prostitute. Doesn't matter if you're a hard worker or you're unemployed. Doesn't matter if you're straight or homosexual. Doesn't matter if you think you're a good person or your life is a mess. The Bible tells us we are all sinners. And the question is, do you realise that? Do you realise you need help? Have you asked God for help? When Jill and I were first married, we went on a camping trip down in the Budawang National Park. It is a beautiful spot down on the south coast. And on our way home, I decided to turn off the main road and take a shortcut across to the coast. It turned out the two maps I had didn't line up. There was a fair distance between them, so it was a longer shortcut. And the map said that we had to cross a ford. I didn't know what a ford was, so off we went. So we finally get to this ford. It's basically a spot where the road goes across the river, but there's no bridge. By now, the fuel light's flashing on the car. There's no going back. No worries, I try and reassure Jill. It's fine. doesn't look too deep reassure myself it's not a four-wheel drive it's a Camry it's a family car it's got about this much clearance off the ground off we go we get halfway across the wheels start slipping we swap drivers Jill's now in the driver's seat I push the car goes down we get completely stuck the water is now coming in the doors there's this kind of oily stuff coming downstream from the car I don't know it just seems to me to be bad not that I know a lot about engines There's no way we're going anywhere. We are completely stuck. To make matters worse, we had not seen one other car on that track all day. From out of nowhere, some canoeists, I kid you not, come paddling down the river. They'd been complaining all day about how low the river was. Now, I've got a little photo. I'm not making this up. Okay. There's our Camry blocking the way. There's these canoeists. They get out and they say, would you like some help? (laughs) Yes, we'd like some help. And they push us out. And the car starts, uh, uh, they push us out, and off we go. Now, I reckon if they'd have come 20 minutes earlier, before we'd started to cross that ford, and they'd have said, would you like some help? I would have looked at Jill. 
I'd have said, no, it's, we're fine, thanks very much. Call me dumb, but I am too embarrassed to admit that I need help. I'm not going to admit to these guys that we're in the wrong spot and our car's not going to make it until I'm forced to. The truth is, though, I was in just as much trouble before I started to cross that river as after. We were in trouble from the moment we turned off the main road. There was never any way we were going to get across there without help. And I think it's the same with us. We all need our sins forgiven. Some people, it seems that life's going okay. Other people, it's a bit more obvious their life looks a mess. But the truth is, we're all in just as much trouble, no matter how good life seems. The moment we leave God behind, we all need help. We need his forgiveness. And Jesus is offering you that help this morning. Don't be too embarrassed to take it. He helped the leper, he forgave the lame man, and he can completely forgive you. The question is, and I want you to think about this this morning, and I hope it bugs you all day, and I hope it bugs you when you get up in the morning, will you admit that you need God's help? Will you let Jesus help you? Will you accept his forgiveness? Let's pray. Father God, sometimes we, we just know we need help and we are so thankful when someone offers to help us. Other times we're a bit proud and we want to try and do it ourselves. Father, thank you that you offer to help us with our biggest problem. And we pray that none of us would be too proud to accept your help. Thank you that Jesus is willing to forgive us. Thank you that Jesus is able to forgive us. And thank you that that's why Jesus came. He came to rescue sinners. Father, we pray that we would trust in him and find forgiveness. Amen.